Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's the big myth. That's the lie that I bought into. That's the story we get told is that alcohol equals a good life. It equals a better life. It equals more fun. It's what mm-hmm. we do to celebrate. It's generally kind of a benign substance. It's legal. It comes in beautiful packages. It's sold everywhere. So unless you have a quote unquote problem, it's fine, right? Right. And that's not really the case. Hi. I'm Miss Danielle, and this is Help a Human Out. It's the feelings podcast where we get answers to tough questions from people who get it. Let's be real. We all have habits that we're trying to break, especially in a year like this one. (laughs) Maybe you want to stop eating so much fast food. Maybe you want to stop biting your nails. Our question this week comes from a woman trying to determine if it's time to break one of her habits. I was just wondering how you made the decision to stop drinking. Um... I guess it's something I've been thinking about for a while now, and I feel like it's a little more complicated just because I don't feel like I'm someone who absolutely, like, should not drink. Um, I'm happy to have one glass of wine and enjoy it with friends or with my partner, but I just feel like as I get older, I'm approaching 30 and... It tends to increase my anxiety. I don't sleep as well. And I guess I've just kind of felt like it's not really serving me in my life. Um, But as I've started to consider that, it also feels like suddenly alcohol is everywhere. Um, So I was just wondering how you came to that decision. Thank you. Now, this listener asked to remain anonymous, but really it could have been anyone. It could have been me. I've wondered this before. I mean, at the worst of 2020, I was drinking wine to take the edge off. I think a lot of us were, and maybe still are, and there is no judgment. Seriously, I was drinking a bottle of wine a night. My dad died. There was a pandemic. I have a chronically sick child. Yeah, wine was taking the edge off, for real, and I, it was survival. But I've questioned if that was a good mode of survival. I felt all the emotions about alcohol. The good, the bad, and the sitting on the bathroom floor. Laying on the bathroom floor, being knocked out on the bathroom floor. But I've never had a full and deep conversation about how to make the decision to stop drinking. Until now. I talked with author, teacher, and speaker Laura McCowan, who literally wrote the book on this. We are the luckiest, the surprising magic of a sober life. It's a bestseller on Amazon, Apple Books, Publishers Weekly, and USA Today. Laura is awesome and has hard conversations about alcohol for a living. So with that, let's dive right into my conversation with Laura. So yes, our question was, how did you make the decision to stop drinking? And we said, okay, well... This is an important question because many Mm -hmm. people struggle with this. Um, A lot of people need to make the decision or want to make the decision and don't even know where to start. And so, Laura, I know you wrote a book about all this stuff, and I want you to kind of just walk us through the book. Tell us about how the book came to be and, and kind of your journey. A good way to talk about that is to talk about the title, which is We Are the Luckiest. And with the the subhead being the surprising magic of a sober life. So we are the luckiest is sort of a confusing statement when it comes to sobriety. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people equate being lucky uh, with having an addiction, right? Right. It doesn't seem like a great, a great thing. But what I realized, and I fought so hard against it, and what I realized in the the premise of the book, it it focuses much more on my sobriety story than my drinking, because what 
I learned in sobriety is that it was a gift. The, the, what I say in the book is that we all have a thing, mm-hmm. a thing. We all have something that is an invitation to wake up. And usually those things aren't so great on their face. <laughs> They're usually a rock bottom moment, right? Yeah, like death or <laughs> divorce mm-hmm. or yep. getting really sick. Trauma. Or trauma, right. Um, and so I realized, I would say pretty early on, uh, that I... I was, sobriety was going to give me what I had been searching for all along and drinking was, which was to have, or in life really, which yes. was to have a direct experience of life, to know the depths of it completely and to be engaged in the mystery of, of what I'm doing here and what and we're to, all doing here. And to clarify, that was something you felt like couldn't happen because of the non-sobriety. Absolutely. Right. I thought that's the big joke, right? That's the big myth. That's the lie that I bought into. That's the story we get told is that alcohol equals a good life. It equals a better life. It equals more fun. It's what mm-hmm. we do to celebrate. It's generally kind of a benign substance. It's legal. It comes in beautiful packages. It's sold everywhere. So unless you have a quote unquote problem, it's fine, right? Right. You know, briefly, my story is, it's not that different from a lot of people's stories. I had my fair share of trauma in my childhood. Um, I grew up in a, you know, very middle class city in Colorado, town, Mm -hmm. really. City is an overstatement. It's tiny. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I grew up in a drinking culture, uh, you know, a family that drank. Uh, we owned a restaurant for a while. Um, I never really questioned that adults, the adults around me were just, you know, alcohol was very normal. It was, it was just there all the time. And I think that's, you know, how a lot of us see drinking uh, is just sort of this benign thing that's happening around us all the time. Yeah, it's just a part of your life. It's you, a part, yeah. Some like, of us are born right into it, you know? Yeah, it's like, oh, this is this is just what it means when you get, when you turn, you know, you become an adult, you're going to drink alcohol. It's part of the deal. Yeah. So, and and I mentioned, you know, I, I experienced a fair bit of trauma and I'll, I'll loop back to that because um, that's certainly not unique, but it is important. Mm-hmm. Um, it absolutely is. Trauma is such a big piece of a lot of people's addiction issues. Yeah, it's at the Gabor Mate, who is a, a brilliant man who talks about this, writes about this a lot. He wrote in the realm of hungry ghosts. Um, he says that it's almost always a precursor to addiction. Yep. So I'm, I, I I don't doubt it for a second. Uh, yeah, I re- I'm, I'm in my spare time, which there really is none. <laughs> I um, research trauma. I study uh, I, stu- I study adverse childhood experiences, A scores. Yep, yep. Um, I'm really high up on that list at a number nine. Woo, wow. go me! But yay. you know what? Um, yeah, yay! But resilience is everything. You talk about sobriety as magical, which a lot of people would be like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. But the way that you talk about it and the way, the clarity in your voice and just the things that you're saying, it's inspiring as hell. And so I just, yeah, of course, I just want to, I want to go back into the moment where you realize like, "Mm, this isn't it for me. Like what was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back? Yeah. So there was, there was a night uh, in July of 2013 uh, where I left my daughter in a hotel room, my four-year-old daughter left her in a hotel room by herself overnight because I was blackout drunk and somewhere else. Oh, man. And I, it was at my brother's wedding. It's how I opened the book. And mm-hmm. it's, that was the moment where I realized that I, I just didn't know what was going to happen when I drank anymore. Right. I, any illusion of control was gone. You could no longer control the controllables? Yeah. And yeah, I I hadn't for a long time, you know, Mm -hmm. it certainly wasn't the first horrific thing that happened. It was just the most, it was public. My family knew and was there and it was my daughter. And yeah. yeah, And I I, imagine when you sobered up, was there just this awful guilt? Oh, so much worse than that. (laughs) It was horrifying. Mm. It was horrifying. Uh, 
you know, I don't, I, for some reason thought, even though I had had a DUI, even though I had suffered tons of physical consequences and all this stuff, I, I still, I still was functioning very well. I had a great job. I had people that loved me and wanted me to be around. And mm-hmm. I didn't look like someone who had a problem and all that stuff. I, I still, you know, I didn't think I, that what my drinking could affect my daughter. And I, and I didn't, I thought the damage was mostly to myself or, you know, I could see other relationships, but for some reason I always thought, you know, nothing bad will happen to her. I still have control there. Like my instincts will protect me. Right. Did you know that you had a problem before, before the rock bottom moment, before the hotel, um, or leaving the baby and your brother's wedding, it, it was your brother, right? Yep. Your brother's wedding before that moment. Did you think, or were you in denial? Did you think, I have a problem, and you just couldn't get a hold of it? Or did you think, no, I'm good? I I couldn't know. I couldn't mm. let myself know. Mm-hmm. Cognitive dissonance is a real Ooh, thing. Girl, yes, I know. You know, like... It really is. We can't... I knew. I can say now, <laughs> looking back, I knew at like 18... I remember the moment when I realized that other people didn't really drink like I did. Like they didn't care about it as much as I did. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but, but cognitive dissonance is, I I surrounded myself with people who drank a lot. It's very easy to point to something that's always, you know, that's much worse. It's always easy to do that. I didn't look like an alcoholic. I didn't act like what I thought was an alcoholic. I wasn't, you know, I had all the, I looked fine mm. and cognitive dissonance just so folks know is like where your image of something, your internal sort of image or your understanding of something does not equate with the reality. And you, it's a, it's a psychological defense mechanism that is, it's so painful that that distance between those two things creates so much internal friction that you just can't believe something, even when the evidence is so obvious. Right. And you had so much evidence. I had so much evidence. So I knew, but I, but I couldn't know. Not yet. And, you know, I have to say, true, like, to be honest, that next day when I was, I knew, you know, I'm riding home from the wedding in the back seat of my grandmother's car. My grandmother and my mother were in the front. And sitting there with my daughter and, you know, it, one would think that it was just so obvious and clear at that point and almost maybe a relief, right? That, that okay, that nothing bad happened to my daughter of the numerous things that could have happened. Right. She was safe and I now have to deal with this and it, and it was just so clear. There, that's not how I felt. I felt I was pissed off and I was scared because I was pissed off that I got caught mm. and I was scared that now I would have to get sober. And I didn't know how to do that or what that meant. I was pissed that I was going to have to give up drinking. And Wow. That, that right there, though, that's, to be able to say that, that self-awareness right now and to have this conversation where you're like, yeah, like I did a really awful thing and I, my kid was in danger and I was pissed like mm-hmm. that I got caught. That is so much self-awareness. And to be able to say that is huge because I imagine that that is a huge thing. I used to tell my dad all the time, like, how could you choose alcohol yeah, over us? And right. then I realized that he didn't. Addiction is addiction. It's a disease. And when people start to really understand yeah. that it is not a choice in any way. <laughs> like, well, we lose our, when, when your brain, when you are in, in acute stages of addiction, your, you have lost your ability to choose, right? The, mm-hmm. That's what people don't understand. Your, your brain is actually hijacked at that point yep. from a physiological perspective and, and a psychological perspective. So you, at that point, the, the person who is addicted to the substance equates that substance with food, shelter. The, like the, survival. The, the survival, the basic survival. needs. And, and it's not... Like I had lost my ability to quote unquote choose a long time ago. And this is a really tricky 
I get the just sheer anger and resentment and frustration because I have loved people who are addicted. I still Mm -hmm. do. And to be on the other side of it is infuriating. And it's, there's, there's, I say there are like two different addresses in hell, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I get it. And I've been on the other side where I, I know I wasn't choosing anymore, right? Like at that stage, I was so effed. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I imagine it's also kind of um, similar to people who struggle with mental health because I always mm. hear people say things like, well, you know, it's so selfish. If yeah. a person is going to take their own life, they are not thinking about anybody else at that moment. And I, and I know that life. Like, I know that mental health struggle. And so— I do, too. Yeah, exactly. And so when people say, like, oh, when I was at my darkest moment, I love my kids more than anything. I have a 5-year-old and an 8-year-old daughter. And, and I love my kids more than anything. But when I was at my darkest place— it did not matter. Love no. was not enough. No. I was, I, I, my, like you said about your, the, you know, the addiction hijacking your brain. Yeah. The lies that I had told myself had hijacked my brain. Mm-hmm. I no longer was who I was. It, I was, I was imprisoned in no, my own body. No, you're actually a sick, you're, you're an ill person. Yes. I was literally sick. Like, yeah. and, and so it's, it, it's amazing to me that we still are kind of in this culture that doesn't recognize that these things are illnesses. These are diseases and these are sicknesses. And I think because we haven't really come full circle around to saying like, hey, this is what this is. And we, you know, we've done better, but there's still a lot of guilt. There's still a lot of shame. People are yeah. still hiding these things. Yeah. And I think it says a lot about the world that we live in because we're still fighting for I know. This to be normalized. It does It does say a lot, but I also understand the struggle to get there. Like, I do, because when we, when we can see a, the manifestation of a physical illness, say, mm-hmm. yes. say cancer, you can spot a tumor. Mm-hmm. You, there's a, we don't have any moral judgment on that. Right. A broken leg. You see someone limping, it makes sense. Right. But, you know, addiction... There's a couple things, and and I'm I'm fascinated by this, and and I've I've really spent the past six years of my life pulling the thread on this, and and really trying to understand because the nuance here does matter. It's very easy to say like nobody should be um, accountable, so to speak, once they are addicted. It's like that's not quite it either, right? So right. it's it's like. You can see how a drug that is legal, right? Mm-hmm. In when and and we we sort of think in in binary terms of you're alcoholic or you're not. And there's two areas. The reality is is a spectrum, a very wide spectrum of substance use disorder. And alcohol is. It, I'm just focusing on alcohol because that's what we're talking about. Is a uh-huh. is a class one carcinogen. <laughs> And it is highly, highly addictive. Mm. So it, it, you don't have to qualify as an alcoholic to have lost control of how much you drink or its effects on you, right? But in our society, we have this thing that we prize so much, which is drinking. And, and if nothing else, we just sort of think of it as benign. Unless you cross this imaginary line, which we don't quite understand where it is <laughs> and you go into the problem territory and yeah. then you're labeled an alcoholic when really all that happened is you had probably pre-existing trauma mm-hmm. you're probably a, a highly sensitive person hsp which, all day yeah which requires like if anyone in, is listening as a highly sensitive person you know that it's actually a very real thing and and um, you can't function. Like you, it almost requires relief from yeah. sort of normal everyday existence, right? Yeah. And alcohol is a really easy answer to that. It's also a really easy answer to not, process, not knowing how to process feelings, having extraordinary pain, um, so on and so forth. It's a very easy, socially acceptable answer. And it's it, it people are very vulnerable to it, like you said, highly sensitive people. I'm HSP. My daughter is HSP. I am, and I call myself an empowered empath these days because I've learned to stay yeah, very grounded. 
Um, yeah. So I, I always say I'm an empowered empath because the the me before 2020 could not have survived 2020. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is every trauma and tragedy that I experienced, and there has been plenty, okay? Yeah, yeah. The only reason why I believe I'm surviving 2020 is because I have seen craziness. I've seen the darkest of darkness. And then I got here and I'm I'm kind of in a place where I'm super grounded and I'm hanging on for dear life because Lord have mercy, this year has been insane. Yeah. Um, and so I'm wondering for you, what, first of all, how long have you been sober? It'll actually be six years in like a couple days. Yay. Congratulations, first Thank of you. all. Thanks. And how do you stay sober in a year like 2020? <laughs> Uh, that's such a good question. And it's, um, you know, I think what you said is how I feel also. I'm sure our histories are different and what we've experienced is different, but. Um, but we are I, united in our A scores. <laughs> we're united in A scores. We yes. are. Anyone who has had to get sober or really go through anything that has completely required them to re build their life and, and sort of any, every aspect of their identity, which is what getting sober was like for me, um, has practice in, I mean, first of all, you, you build a lot of resilience and you, um, get really clear on, oh God, how do I even say it? There's, there, there is, I've had a lot of practice in staying. Yeah. staying in the moment, staying with myself, being present, being present, um, exercising boundaries. I wanted to answer your question. Like there, how could I not stay sober in 2020? Girl, that, that I'm so happy that you said it like that. And so I, I wanted to follow up because there's a question on here and I, I've been avoiding it. Okay. Right, because give it the, to me. <laughs> because the answer might impact me a little more than I anticipated. Okay, and so the question is, what advice do you have for someone who maybe hasn't had that rock bottom moment? Mm. Because, and why I'm asking this is, I, I don't believe that I'm an alcoholic. Okay. My dad was an alcoholic, and um, he died at 54. I've never had a beer in my whole life. I, wine, a whole nother situation. Okay. <laughs> but I've never had because my dad drank so much just even the smell of beer or anything. I'm 35 years old and literally have never cracked open a beer. So there's that. But 2020 and being a highly sensitive person and being Uh a black woman in America Uh Uh and having a chronically ill child, I got to tell you that a mainstay in my um, dietary needs right now has been wine. Wine. And it's been a lot of it. Yeah, And so... You know, I'm looking at this question and it says, what advice do you have for someone who maybe hasn't hit the rock bottom moment? But I know what I'm doing to my body and what I'm doing to myself is not the best thing right now. Okay. And so I wonder, like, what advice do you have for someone who who maybe doesn't, is not going to hit rock bottom or maybe is not going to get there, but still realizes, like, hmm, something's not exactly right. I love that you asked this question and I get also why you're scared of it. So first of all, like, you are not alone. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Alcohol use has gone up. I don't know the statistic. It changes all the time, you know, throughout this year. I've, I haven't checked in the past month or so, but people are self-medicating more. And I understand that. And it's not a moral issue. And I'm definitely not going to sit there and tell you that you have a problem. But I will offer some questions that, that you and other folks could um, ask themselves to just see... Um, see maybe the truth about where I am, where where we are. are. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we go like what your question is saying and is what a lot of, a lot of people's question is, which is, is this bad enough that I have to change? Right. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is sort of, is this bad enough that I have to worry? Right. Okay. So ask yourself this, is this good enough that I want to stay the same? And then the caveat to that would be, in parentheses, knowing what the price is. And I think you have to really dig deep and ask yourself in an honest moment and probably on paper, what price do I pay for self-medicating with wine? Hmm. And it may, 
it may, because this is the thing we all, we all, um, need to soothe. We all need to self-soothe in, in, in tons of different ways. And like alcohol addiction is not unique. Addiction is not even unique. It's written into human history and, and it's part of our condition. If we're not doing it with alcohol, we're going to do it with food. We're going to do it with sex. We're going to do it with yep. the internet, whatever. So I just, the alcohol question though is very scary for a lot of people, like you just said, because it's like, this feels like, um, like I know somewhere in me, this is probably not great, but how bad is it really? Right. So, so this is what I would do. Ask yourself that question. Is this good enough? Like if I were to keep going like this, is this good enough for me? Is this the kind of sort of existence that I want to have? Now you got me digging deep. And in my feelings. <laughs> in your feelings. And these are private questions, right? Like yeah. they, they are. And and these are questions you answer on paper by yourself. And you sit there if you're, you know, I, I sit there and consider that I'm having a conversation with what I understand to be God and um and just talk and then listen, right? Yeah. Um, and I also okay. think that. Okay, so th- this is good. These are good steps to ask the questions because there's a part of me that's like, okay, you lost your dad, you're in a pandemic, mm-hmm. you're a black woman, you're mm-hmm. raising a chronically sick kid. Mm-hmm. Like at some point, some of it feels like appropriate. Totally. Do you like, know what I, I mean? Like, like, like what? Like, what grief. do you drink with all this? Right, but that doesn't mean it's okay. And it's also, I think you hit it right on. You hit the nail on the head when you said is this what you want? Like, is this how, no, I, I want to be able to meditate my way through some of this shit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let me ask one more question because I think this okay. is even more important. Okay. The, the next question after, is this good enough? Is this what you want? Is, am I free Ooh. with this behavior? Tell me more, please. Okay. Does this behavior or this substance or this habit own me in ways that I'm uncomfortable with? Does it determine how I spend my time, who I spend my time with? Um, Does it, does it own you in a way that you're uncomfortable with? And so what if you're in between there, right? That's fine. Okay. So, so so that's where I am. That's all you got to acknowledge. That's all you got to acknowledge is go, yeah, I think I'm a little uncomfortable with this. Um, Yeah. It doesn't own me, but it could. Like, I could potentially see, like, maybe one more crazy tragedy in 2020 might push me over the edge, so I don't want that. It doesn't own me. I know what, like, I I feel completely in control. The other side of it is I also feel like I could be doing a lot of other things and healing my body in different ways, healing my mind, my spirit, my heart, all those broken parts of me in other ways besides just trying to drink them away. Well, let me just talk to you directly as, like, like, I'll, I'll interview you for a second. Oh man. So the moment before, the moment before you like go, you know, open the bottle of wine or pour the glass of wine or whatever, Mm -hmm. what do you, what do you know that the wine is going to give you? What do you think that it's going to give you? An escape. Okay. And does it, does it do that? And just answer honestly, like I know my own experience. And so I would say, yeah. I would say it, it relaxes me in a way that, um, is hard to do naturally, but also I do recognize that I do get that similar feeling when I'm working out. Okay. But working out is a lot harder than cracking out, open that bottle <laughs> totally. of wine, it's, right? It works and it works fast. It That's does. That's why we do it. And I'm so maybe I need more patience, right? Because when I work out, I feel amazing. Yeah. And it's just, but it takes so long and it's a process. But when I sit back and I drink a glass of wine, it's the easiest thing ever. But totally. it's also not healing or helping me. And so maybe I just have to to feel well, differently about it. Well, the 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 thing I want to like get at is do you feel like you like how do you feel like you pay any kind of price if there is any? Like Oh yeah, my okay. stomach is not here for it. Okay, at your all. stomach hates it. Anything else? Like like really hates it though. Like I'm sick 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 the next day. Like almost oh. at, like I'm sick. And I'm and I to be clear, I'm not drinking myself into an oblivion. It could be Bare. one two glasses of wine and my body is like hell no. Okay. It yeah. doesn't want it. Yeah. Also, it just yeah, I'm sure I am. My my dad died at 54 and alcohol tore his body apart. So there's no way that I'm drinking and I'm not harming myself. And, right? and you have this little this thing in the back of your head that is your dad going, mm-hmm. 
there's like this warning signal. So the, the reality too, even if, and I just want to say this is when we have like even a glass of wine, our sleep is shot. Yep. So that's a reality that I never realized. We I often. Have, I, I'm we glad often you told be, me because I sleep like shit. <laughs> no shit, you do. Of course you and do. I, have a, I try to have a glass of wine thinking it's going to help me relax and go to bed and I'm up all damn night. And now you're <laughs> telling me it's because I'm having these glasses of wine. <laughs> Girl, you're saving me all over I know again. it's bad news. Um, it is. It, it helps you to fall asleep because it tranquilizes you. But it it absolutely disrupts the REM and deep sleep that you need to feel rested. I did not understand this. Most people don't understand this. And it's also very linked to feelings of anxiety. I didn't put it together for a long time. And now I tell people drinking alcohol is like pouring gasoline on your anxiety. It's awful. It is. When I, if I have the, the moments now, which I don't have any now, but in the beginning, when I was still haunted by like, I want to drink, what I would do was picture or imagine and feel in my body that anxiety of the next day. Because for me, that was the reason I stopped. And that is, it, and that anxiety is not worth it. It is crippling. No, it is. It is like soul crushing. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I was, I had panic attacks regularly. I, it, it's, completely debilitating. And if you are a highly sensitive person and you are, you know, reformed, highly anxious person, Mm -hmm. and you are living in 2020, like there's enough baseline anxiety to deal with. Just in general, like the, the base. And here's the crazy thing. When I went to my, my therapist, she said, um, you know, how, how are you feeling? This was when I first got into therapy and tried to really get it together. And I go, oh, I'm here. And she, she was, testing out my anxiety in general, mm. I had been functioning, like, on a scale of 10, I <sighs> had been functioning at, like, a 7 or 8 every single day, but that was my normal, right? Yeah. So I only went to the to the therapist when I, would, like, hit a 10, and I was like, something's not right. And she was like, um, something has not been right. Normal yeah. people don't function at a 7 and an 8. Yeah. And it was just me thinking that that was normal. Okay, we need to take a quick break, but we will be right back after this message from our sponsors. Fancy meeting you here, also known as FMYH, is an ecosystem of support for creatives founded by Ashley Ochiaga that is centered around self-development and real talk. Ashley is a creative entrepreneur based in Northeast Minneapolis. She started FMYH because she believes in providing accountability, camaraderie, and constructive perspective for creatives as they work to build their vision. Rome wasn't built in a day, and if it was built today, those creatives would have gone to FMYH for advice and strategy. Sign up via Patreon to join the Virtual Conversation Club and quarterly support group for creatives. Space is limited to keep things intimate, so don't procrastinate. Seriously, it takes two minutes. Do yourself a favor and sign up now. You can find more info at fmyh.co. Yes, that's .co, not .com. And the link to sign up for the Virtual Conversation Club and quarterly support group is in our show notes. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Just like that, we are back. I'm talking to author, teacher, and speaker Laura McCowan about how she made the decision to stop drinking. Let's get right back to it. Anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, is the number one most commonly diagnosed. It's called a mood, uh, mood disorder or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, in the in the country, and women experience it far more than men do. Just as like a data point. Well, and, yeah, and women society. are also drinking <laughs> far more than they ever did. Mm-hmm. So you add those, you know, you don't have to be like a, a rocket scientist to start to put the pieces together. Um, so, you know, back to your original question, like I will never sit there and tell people like nobody should drink. I'm not a prohibitionist. I don't, I'll never tell anyone they have a problem, but I do urge them that most of the myths that we have about alcohol are really myths. Like, 
that it helps me relax. It helps you, uh, it, it boosts your levels of dopamine up really fast. And there's no doubt that that feels really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does that for about 20 minutes and then, and you then start they to, and then you start to pay for it because you, you, you cannot keep producing that amount of dopamine. It, it messes with your, your this is a really layman's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, way of describing it, but it messes with your pleasure reward system so that you can't continue to ha- to replace that dopamine and have it go back up. Um, and so you experience these dips, which can feel like depression. Um, and then you'd get no sleep, anxiety is worse, so on and so forth. And we, and so we, we sort of sacrifice hours, sometimes days for 20 minutes of that initial relief. It's just not worth it. Yeah. I mean, but I also get it that look like I get it. I get it too. I, I completely get it. Trust me. I, but now that I like I'm having this conversation with you and I feel like there's a lot of things staring me in my own face. Mm. And, you know, we, our listener is is clearly she wanted to know, like, how do I make the decision to stop drinking? And it's something that has come and gone for me. I've been like, OK, I want to, um, you know, clean my system out, get healthy. And so I've gone months at a time of not drinking and then I get back on. It, and of course, my anxiety spikes and all these other things happen. Yeah. Um, but what's amazing to me is just to 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 understand that. I had no idea all of the impact, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. for you, for most you, people don't, for you to tell me that it's, when I tell you the insomnia for me is real, I go to sleep, I wake up, I'm up for hours in the middle of the night. Yep. Um, all of these different things for you to say that it, it could possibly have to do with the alcohol. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> That's <laughs> enough alone, for me. Right. Like, especially if you have kids, especially yes. if you have a chronically ill child. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't like the, the amount of research on sleep and how it, how impactful it is to mental health and yep. well being is like that's a whole other podcast. But oh yeah, and we can do that one too, girl. Because let me tell you, <laughs> the only time I've ever lost my mind is when I was not sleeping. No, no kidding. <laughs> Legit. I know. I know. I. It's my deepest fear is to not sleep. <laughs> you know. And the other thing is like, you don't. No one has to label themselves an alcoholic. Like I don't call myself an alcoholic. You don't have to be an alcoholic or qualify as an alcoholic to stop drinking. Right. Most people don't qualify as an alcoholic. Like when they take the 20 question quiz, you know, they don't necessarily qualify. And yet alcohol is totally wreaking havoc in their lives mm-hmm. in ways that they don't even see because they're not, they're not doing the math and like equating, like you said, sleep or anxiety to alcohol use. Um, so you don't ever have to, like, it is enough to just say, I don't think this is working for me. Yeah. And there are a lot of people doing that. There are a lot of people who, you know, quote unquote, or like hashtag sober curious. Like it's, it's, I think we're starting to wake up to alcohol, sort of how we did to cigarettes. Yeah. Um, and Agreed. And sugar too. Like there's all these mm-hmm. new things that people are recognizing addiction and they're like, oh, there's this addiction and there's this. And there's so many things we didn't know about these things. And yeah, it's, it's yeah. And, and, you know, like, the, the it's a the other thing we have to understand is it's a billion dollar industry yeah like a multi billion dollar industry so i'm not one for like blaming whatever but you also have to be aware of that like there are significant dollars put into making you think that this is okay and that it's going to give you x y and z that you want meanwhile the people producing this stuff ain't drinking it themselves <laughs> yeah cuz they know they just know. like the people who were making cigarettes were like they mm-hmm. don't smoke they know just like the people who created social media won't let their kids be on oh, social media my they god no they know what they're doing and they don't care because yeah. it is i watch social dilemma none of them oh are oh my god <laughs> same let me yeah, tell that- you I-, I was like like, okay, I got to get my whole life together. So this has just started a whole spiral of, okay, I want to get rid of some of this, got to get rid of this wine at night, got to do this, 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 because I want to take back my life. And I feel like I don't know who I am anymore because I'm being inundated with all these things that are like, alcohol is great. It'll help you relax. Oh, you need yeah. to have this social media account. You need to do this, this, this. I'm like, who the hell am I up underneath all this that the yeah. world told me to be? <laughs> Yeah. And like, there's no perfection, you know, like it's, that's the thing. We don't, we don't have to be like, (laughs) it's not a renunciation of everything um, that, that, or of all things that we like, like that doesn't have to be it. It couldn't, it's not like 
you need to go and never drink alcohol again. Maybe that's where you go, but maybe it's like the next time you just want to pop open the bottle of wine and have a couple glasses because it's going to work really fast. You, you pause for like even two breaths and go, okay, what's really going on here? Yes. How do I feel? Yes. Exactly. Right before I do this thing. How do I feel before I get on Instagram? How do I feel before I, whatever you're doing that, you know, in your, you know, there's that small voice that's going, mm, this isn't going to give you what you want. Yeah. Like and this, it's, if it's not giving, it, if it's not putting any, anything into your life and it's only taking, like you got to reevaluate all those things, not even just alcohol, social media, like whatever you're a part of, if it's only draining you and taking from your life and it's not adding anything, those are all the things that we have to evaluate in our life. Yeah. And we don't really know how much it's taking away until we, till we remove it. Like perfect mm-hmm. example, my boyfriend, when we he read my, we started dating, um, several months ago and he read my book, like right at the beginning. And I have this chapter talking about some of the things that we're talking about, just sort of the reality of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he, he would have never considered himself a problem drinker, but it was just kind of there. You know, he, if alcohol was around at a party or even at night, he would have a glass or, or whatever, but he would never qualify as an alcoholic. But he decided after reading my book, he's like, you know what? I have, as an adult, as a 50-year-old man, I have never had a significant period of time where I haven't had this thing in my life. Wow. I'm going to try it. I'm going to just try not drinking. And he did. He hasn't had a drink for four months. And literally within like two or three weeks. He felt different clarity. he texted. I didn't even know that he decided to do this. He didn't tell me, but he told me like, I, you know, as a result of reading your book, like I just realized like. I don't know if this is doing me any good, so I want to try it. And he's like, I feel like I have a superpower. Yep. Because I, the benefits are like compounding interest. It's like you don't say, okay, say you sleep better, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The next day, your morning goes differently. You're more productive. Everything changes. You are more present for the mm-hmm. conversations. You're less You're less, ir- less irritated with your kids. Mm-hmm. That yeah, was big but- for me. Oh, oh my God, kids, man, I can't, I can't even wrap my brain around how I used to parent hungover. It's just mm-hmm. confounding to me. But, but he, you know, four months later, he's like, I, I don't know that I would have ever stopped, you know, or like just not done it if it weren't for you. And, and he's like, I was never once in my life worried that I had a problem, but I can just see now that my life is bed infinitely better in ways that I can't describe without it. That's amazing. It's a, you know what? I just feel like some people just want to try anyway for reasons like that. Like you said, he didn't have a yeah. problem. I'm not, I don't have a problem. They but feel also, just like, but they need to feel justified by trying because yep. you get asked why you're not drinking. When you're of not course drinking. you do when you go out and that's, that's problematic. You know, people are like, oh, what's mm-hmm. wrong with you? You're not drinking. It's like, no, I'm not drinking. I, this is my choice. This is what I want to do. So I, we're looking at these, these Nielsen reports and it says that alcohol sales in stores were up 54% in late March compared to the time, this time yeah. last year. And then yeah. online sales were up nearly 500% in late April. So that we know that alcohol alcohol in itself is just like a big thing. 500%, 500% um, in late April. Then it it is again, 2020, but still, this is just unbelievable. So I I guess if we're talking to our our listener Mm -hmm. who reached out and clearly she's going through something and wants to know like, you know, what, what is the overreaching advice that you have for someone who might be like me, might be like her, might be like, hmm, is this okay? What is the overreaching advice to to make the decision to stop drinking or to limit your drinking or to have a different relationship with your drinking? Okay. So right now you're going to be speaking directly to our listener. Okay. So first of all, what I would tell, what I would say to her is it doesn't matter how often you drink or how much you drink but what happens to you when you do. So don't compare to anybody else. Just notice what happens to you when you drink. And what I mean by that is not, do you drive drunk or do you have, you know, outward consequences, but what happens internally to you? Do you lose sleep? Do you feel shame and anxiety? Are you kind of embarrassed? Or do you worry about it? So pay attention to that. Ask yourself that question. The second thing is write down the answers to the questions that I posed. 
which are, is this good enough that you want to stay the same? Meaning, you know, how much you drink right now and what that sort of means in your life. Is this good enough for you to stay the same to continue down this path? Second question is, are you free? When you have this behavior in your life, are you free? And okay, so those are some questions. And then write honestly, this is terrifying for some people, but write honestly your history with drinking or self-medicating and start from when you were as early as you can remember. Because when I have people do this exercise and I have them do it in, in my classes a lot, we realize that it starts really early, usually with food. And then it moves to maybe something else like alcohol, maybe pot, something like that. And you can see over the, I don't know how old she is, but let's just say she's 35. Mm -hmm. Do from when you were, when you can first remember using something to sort of escape to present day and track that time and be brutally honest about it and write down any consequences that resulted as it, you know, from you using whatever you were using, if there were any, and look at that period of your life and sort of coincide it with what was going on in your life. And you'll see everyone that I've had do this sees that it's much bigger than they think. Yeah. And and I'm sure it's like very related to those trauma moments and and those those triggers. And then you kind of figure out what your triggers are. And then you learn that there's like a whole system. Yeah. And it's sort of like, it just makes you realize like, it's not just the last, you know, the last, it's not 2020 or the last year that you, you know, it's, it's really an entire history of perhaps not of, of leaving yourself, Mm -hmm. ignoring what, what the questions within you or the feelings within you that really need to be paid attention to. Laura, I want to ask, um, as we wrap up, I want to ask something because I firmly believe that the reason why my brother has an addiction is because he never got a full grasp of his empathy and his HSP, Mm. his highly sensitive person. I also believe that that's probably a big part of why my dad died, because he didn't understand why he felt so much and he didn't know how to control it. And so I'm wondering if you have any advice for people like myself, um, who used to be like me? Because I, I got to tell you, I'm I'm very grounded these days and I'm so grateful, but it also took a very major trauma to get here. Yeah, um, always it, does, almost it, always it, does. It, it yeah. always does, but you know what? It, my trauma was transformative and so I'm I'm very happy and grateful about it. But I wonder just if you could speak a little bit to like the HSP part of it, um, the empathy part of it, because I think that a lot of people, when they cannot control how sensitive they are when they cannot understand why they feel so much more deeply, so much more than everyone else, when they feel everybody else's stuff. I can imagine that alcohol is a huge escape. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of research on this, but the link between being a highly sensitive person and addiction is like almost, or there's, how do I say this? Um, People experience addiction uh, I want to say like 97% of them. Oh, I qualify, believe it. Yeah, qualify, would qualify as um, an empath or a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. It makes complete sense. It, it complete, for somebody who is HSP like yourself and myself, for people like us, we get it. Because when I find out that an empath who has not been empowered or an HSP person who has not, you know, understood how to control their empathy and and all their senses and all these things mm-hmm. has um, taken their life, I'm very saddened by it. But I also understand. Totally. I understand it. And I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying, oh, I get it. And you know, I used to see the world very black and white. It used to be, oh, if you're in addiction, you chose it. That's a crazy thought. I watched my dad die. Yeah, at, I mean, we know. all think things we, like that. Until we, we do. Yeah. And I felt, you know, now as a grown up and really like understanding it wasn't a choice and all these things, I have a lot more empathy for it. Um, and then when it's your dad and he's, you know, in and I, out because of it, you're angry. So you don't really course. give him the empathy that he deserves. So there's many things. Of course. But as someone who has anxiety, who is HSP and, you know, anxiety and, and empathy and HSP all go together anyway. Um, so there's that. And then just to watch all these people 
who don't know how to control it and to see that some of them literally take their lives or some of them destroy their lives with alcohol or some other addiction, it's mind-blowing to me that people have not focused on how to help people who feel so deeply. Yeah, I know. Why there isn't a bigger push to really understand and normalize HSP, empaths, people who feel all these things, Mm -hmm. trauma, Mm -hmm. right? And so... um, yeah, so we're getting just, there. I there's feel such like a connection. I, f- I feel like in the past maybe five years, there's a lot more information that's co- that's come out. There are a lot more people who have started talking about this um, in a very real way. Gabor Mate, I mentioned him. His mm-hmm. his research and his work is excellent for people who are interested in this. The question that he poses is we should never ask why the addiction, but why the pain? Yes. Come on. What's his name? <laughs> Gabor Matei. Come so on, Gabor Matei. <laughs> well, I am so grateful for this conversation today. Please tell people where they can get your book. Anywhere. Uh, I would love for you to buy it from an independent bookstore somewhere. Yes. Um, you can always buy it on Amazon, but, it, but it's but so Jeff Bezos nice has to enough take money. the extra step. <laughs> <laughs> it's available anywhere. You can order it anywhere uh, and that books are sold and um and all my work is the mo- the main place I am on is on Instagram. You can find me there, and my website is just my name. So here's the deal: maybe listening to this episode and hearing Laura's story is what makes you decide to stop drinking. And if that's the case, I'm glad we're here to help. But for a lot of people, that decision is made once you've really messed up, and maybe getting to that rock bottom kind of place is what you need to make the decision. But I know I don't want to get there. And honestly, after I had this conversation with Laura, I stopped drinking. Not because I had a problem, but because I wanted to see the world more clearly. And honestly, it's not even something I know if I'm going to do forever, but I'm doing it for right now. And it's something to think about, right? What is it bringing to your life? What is it not bringing to your life? I can tell you right now, I'm seeing things a little differently and I like it. So I stopped drinking, and I'm not saying that that's what you need to do. I'm saying that maybe you want to ask yourself the questions that Laura talked about. Is this bad enough for you to have to change? Is it good enough for you to stay the same? Are you free? Freedom over everything, people, is really what I believe. I want to thank Laura for her time, and I want to thank Jane Doe for the question. And this is what we do. Every single episode, we will take one question and find an expert to answer it. If there's a question you want answered, send a recording of your question to podcast at stillkicking.co. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever it is that you're listening. And we'd like to give a special shout out to Jackie G, Amel S, Allison K, LMP, and all the other helpers that have contributed to our mission. I'm your host, Miss Danielle. Our executive producer is Nora McInerney. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. Our audio production is done by Red Rock Music, and you can learn more and donate. Mm-hmm at stillkicking.co slash podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.